Hi, everyone. Welcome to STEM From's podcast, Where Does Your Journey Stem From?, uh, hosted by myself, Dr. Karina Minardi. Today, we are joined by a wonderful scientist and guest, Brian, who is currently a graduate student at Cornell University. Let's welcome to the stage, Brian. Hey, Brian, how's it going? All good. Hi, everyone. Brian earned a Bachelor's of Science in Microbiology from the Inter-American University of Puerto Rico. At the Houston lab, he focuses on studying the pathogenic ciliate responsible for the mass mortality of sea urchins who belong to the diadidamide family. Did I say that right? Sort of, I, I can't say it right either. <laughs> okay, fair. Uh, he is a second year graduate student, uh, a National Science Foundation graduate research fellow, and a Cal Statman Fellow in the Microbiology PhD program at Cornell University. He's got lots of fellowships. He is passionate about making science, especially micro, more accessible and inclusive through organizing events, workshops, and seminars that foster a welcoming environment for all aspiring scientists. And that's exactly why he's here today. So thanks, Brian, for joining us again. And uh, we usually start off with our guests describing a little bit, not only about their personal background, but also their academic background. Okay. Um, so for the scientific background and how I got into this whole ordeal, um, I started when I was in high school and I had an incredible science teacher. I think everybody has that one teacher that really changes the tracks of everything. And so I had an incredible science teacher who showed me the ropes and saw that I was passionate for science. And I kind of was looking into microbes as biomarkers for disease. Um, and I wrote a proposal about doing that for HIV. And I was a junior in high school and she tossed me to the university and was like, okay, this is what he has. Um, and that led to me getting a presidential scholarship to get started in my bachelor degree courses with that university. And after that, I took some courses, then I'm Puerto Rican to give a little bit of background. Uh, Hurricane Maria hits on my senior year of high school, um, which was incredibly difficult. But at the same time, it opened a lot of doors because a lot of scientists left the island to find better opportunities and finish graduate school projects, which opened the doors to me to enter Dr. Philippa Godoy's lab. Um, at the time, I was still a senior in high school and she was, and still is, one of the best mentors I've had and still have today. And she taught me the ropes and really focused me in what is microbiology and microbiomes. And with her, I did research for about four years on human papillomavirus and biomarkers for health and disease. I worked on environmental projects looking at probiotic beverages and um, leatherback turtles. And from there, I definitely wanted to continue in academia. It seemed like the right fit to explore as many fields as I wanted and learn a, as many things as I wanted within an environment that I can learn tools. Uh, to apply to a bunch of fields. And so, yeah, that worked out great. Uh, from my bachelor's degree, bachelor program at the University of Davis and Cal uh, University of California in Davis, 
and I worked with Dr. Melanie Garo. So there I did gut microbiome and its influences in the brain. And that was an incredible opportunity to learn mice work and to just expand my bench work. And yeah, I moved to grad school. Now I'm at the Houston lab and I study sea urchin mass mortality and I couldn't be happier. So that's all, that's great. And I think your, your travels um, and your experiences across the, the spectrum have been um, fabulous. So I'm curious though, to return kind of to the original question too, is what drove you to science from like a personal background? What, what is it? Do you have innate curiosity? Were you, I mean, I'm just, I'm a little curious about that. Uh, yeah. So on the personal side, I actually went into science because of getting diagnosed with arthritis when I was like eight years of age. And that drove me and my mom in Puerto Rican culture. You get sick. The response isn't always let me give you an ibuprofen. It's there's this very nice tea that your grandmother used to make me. I'm going to go whip it up in the kitchen and you're going to be fine in an hour. And so me and my mom, she also shares that science curious curiosity. And so we started looking at anti-inflammatory plants and how to brew teas with them to help with that. And that's where it all began. It was just brewing a tea and that led to a science fair project. And that led to just, once I was done with that science fair, it was just like, oh, what comes next? What do I do next? What am I looking for? How? And that's where I learned about microbiomes and looking at HIV uh, as like, oh, that's a big disease. I could look at biomarkers for it with bacteria. And so reading a couple papers really just dragged my imagination along with it. And it was a very nice journey. I, I love that you mentioned um, science fairs because we've had a couple of guests on our shows uh, or on our show, I should say, on episodes in which they have said science fairs provided them sort of the the key to really exploring the scientific method as a holistic entity. And um, I never participated in a science fair, but I, I love the idea, though. Um, so tell us a little bit about the your tea project. So it's very interesting. One of the main criticisms of my tea project is that I did not know what an IRB is. Um, and that was because, of course, for a science fair, you're not usually testing it on subjects, but how can I test what it does? So I took a bunch of my neighbors and gave them the tea and asked them how they felt before and after. And again, it was it's a tea that we brewed in my house. Nobody really thought it was going to do anything. So they just gave me responses, but it was that initiative of like, oh, I need control subjects and I need people drinking water instead of a tea. And so that project was mostly looking at, it was my mother's way of giving me a place to research about arthritis and my own way of figuring out, oh, science is so cool. And like, there are so many things that we look at every day in our yard that I don't pay attention to. I think that's exactly right. Um, thinking through what is naturally, what is holistically, plus, you know, saying that something ties back to you that is important to you, um, yeah. plus then the ability to just take something and experiment, even experiment on your neighbors. I mean, you know, that's 
a kid. What are you supposed to do? It's like a lemonade stand, right? Um, so uh, you talked a little bit about your mentors and you spoke about one that was really, really critical. So what sort of traits did she exude that were just so influential for you? Yes. So Dr. Filippa Godoy Vitorino, um, she is she is an incredible mentor who I see as an extended family member. Um, I probably message her and talk to her once a week. And she was very influential in how my career went. When I was a junior in high school, I did not think anybody was going to give me a position in a lab. And she gave me a position in her lab and she was like, well, you have no bio courses, you don't have lab work experience, so you have two options. You help us do inventory of samples and you clean around and do whatnot, or you learn bioinformatics and I give you a data set. And it was a very like, here are some grad students, they can definitely help you learn a little bit about bioinformatics, but it's definitely on you to learn most of it. Um, and that approach really worked with me. Um, it doesn't work with everybody. I don't think being tossed to the, to swim or <laughs> sink, um, it's kind of difficult, but it really taught me the ways of like, okay, I need to learn how to critically read papers and how to find the right sources. And she was incredibly influential in doing that. Um, and so that led to my first publication as I was graduating from high, high school. Um, and so that really created this amazing feeling of, wow, I'm actually doing things and contributing to the science field with what I'm doing here. And so some of the traits that I can think of that makes her one of the best mentors I have, um, is just her commitment to her students and to being a mentor more so than just a PI. She really is there for the entire journey and it's incredible. Yeah, the work is a lot of work, but it is anywhere. And I feel like she really was interested in everybody's progress more than the outcome of the project in most cases. So it was very personable and amiable. That's definitely traits that you want to find in a mentor. Um, in addition to, it's it's funny because many students think about um, how do they want to envision a mentor or a PI, right? Um, and what do they want to learn? Do they want to be in an, in an environment in which they're forced to sort of do their sort of own solitary investigations and they can get feedback every once in a while or do they just want to be told what to do and then just see it through as a, as a research um so you favor you favor the, the former rather than the latter yes um i i like the i i wouldn't say it's hands off i think it was more so you have certain tasks figure out how you would approach them and then come back to me and we will go through why those approaches either work or don't and where did the search go wrong if they don't and so it is hands off to an extent of i'm not going to give you all the answers but it also 
helps you build that, oh, I looked for the wrong thing. That doesn't automatically mean I fail. It's resilience building and it's, um, I think, um, confidence building as well, for yeah. sure. Um, let's take, okay, so we retrospectively looked a little bit at your background. So let's actually think about what do you want to do when you're an adult? Um, next steps would definitely be a postdoc. Uh, I, I worked in biomedical projects and environmental projects with Philippa. And then I worked strictly biomedically related projects with Dr. Grow and UC Davis. And now I'm working all environmental and I definitely want to stay in the marine environment and working with marine microbiology. Um, so looking for postdocs in that area, as well as later on looking for academic jobs that allow me to be this mentor that I would like to be to students and also do the research that I'm passionate about. I think when you see someone who has been a successful mentor to you and you've seen it done so well, that um, at least the what I have experienced is that then you want to pay it forward and pay it back to the next kind of group of, of students. So that's that's really, really powerful. Um, and I personally love that. Um, so you have had a variety of different research experience with respect, with respect to mouse models, micro, now you're into marine biology. Um, can you take us through a little bit about, you know, what is it about the content, mm -hmm. the, the material, and mm -hmm. what excites you, I think, in, in all of those, and then why you've actually, and how you've pivoted, frankly. Um, so I think it all starts again with Dr. Godoy. Uh, her lab is mostly looking at microbiomes associated with different hosts. That gave me the opportunity to work with data from many hosts and say, oh, this host has more interesting qualities to me than this other host which I don't feel as passionate for. When I worked with mice, I noticed that mice work is fine and I really like physiology and how microbes affect the host physiology, but it is not what I wanna do or pursue later on. And the biomedical field, while incredible, it's not for me. Um, I really like to explore things more in the environment and that really triggered going into this lab uh, with Dr. Ian Hewson and this project with sea urchins, which going back to a little bit more personal, living in Ithaca, New York is very different than living in Puerto Rico. And so having that option to work in something that directly affects the area where I come from is fantastic. I get to impact and develop knowledge on an area on sea urchins in Caribbean seas. And that to me is incredible. I think you said something that was really, really critical. That is um, something that I, I am trying to focus on with my organization stem from is the fact that um, you have to um, touch the material, you have to interact with the material in order to make an educated decision of whether you want to do that forever. Right. Um, and there's something to be said by trying something and going, that's not really for me. And then moving on. Um, and, and, and I think the same is applicable to industry. The same is applicable to a job. 
you might think a sales job is really alluring, but then once you get there, you go, oh my goodness, no thank you. Um, and I think that that's powerful with science. And I, I, I would venture to guess that it's kind of the only STEM in and, in and of itself is kind of the only sort of field by which you can do that. I don't know, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I feel like microbiology as a field really allows me to move in many directions. Um, from going incredibly molecular and studying one pathway in a very, very important organism like Bacillus subtilis or E. coli, to working in overall microbial communities and sea urchins, for example, or whales. So it has many ways where you can interact. There's microbes everywhere. Um, and so that makes it very easy uh, for us to move along different environments, move along different host subjects, and try to find something that interests us. For me, when looking at marine micro, I had done microbiomes with Dr. Godoy in leatherback turtles and crabs and mangroves, but that was not necessarily my passion. I really enjoy microbiome work, but I was like, okay, what's next? How can I interact with the microbial environment? And so working in this pathogen model of the sea urchin and the ciliate that is pathogenic towards the sea urchin really has given me an option to say, oh, I can engage with the microbial community and the, and the pathogen and the host, but not in a biomedical sense. It's environmental work still. Well, I think that's a great transition to um, actually jumping right into your, your research. I, I want to hear more. Um, so can you give us a little bit of an overview as to um, sort of what is the big goal, big picture um, of, of the work that you're contributing to? Yeah, so in preparation for my A exam, this has been a great question because the overall goal of my thesis work currently it's looking at microbes and saying, are you a friend, are you a foe, or are you transitioning in between it? And so I'm trying to understand how different variables in the environment can make microbial interactions shift from a good uh, bacterium within a host to a not so good bacterium within a host. In other words, from a mutualistic symbiotic relationship to a pathogenic one. And so my model currently, it's diadema antelarum, which is a long-spined sea urchin that lives in the Caribbean. Um, and in 2022, there was a mass mortality event of this sea urchin. Um, and everybody wondered why the lab that I now work with was able to look at why. And they found that this protozoan unicellular ciliate called phylaster, uh, it's near close to a phylaster ciliate, um, has the potential to cause disease and mortality within the urchins, and they were able to fulfill Koch postulates, which means taking that pathogen out from a deceased host, putting it into a non-deceased host, causing disease, and re-isolating it. And so we were able to fulfill that, and now my goal is to explain how is it causing disease, why is it pathogenic, what type of activity does it do within the urchin or the urchin's environment that makes it so pathogenic towards the urchin? 
Um, and the reason why I talk about it as a microbial shift is because we had the opportunity to collect samples from the Smithsonian that are from the 1980s. And we are able to identify the pathogen or somewhat similar ciliates that we know have lived in urchins for a very long time. We want to know if this ciliate used to live symbiotic, mutualistically within the urchin, but something in the environment changed it to be a pathogen. So you have a little bit of lab work happening. You have a little bit of historical work happening, i.e. the Smithsonian. You have a little bit of um, live capture work happening in which you've traveled down to the Caribbean. So out of those three, what is your favorite and why? And out of those three, what is your least favorite and why? Oh, um, I definitely enjoy the opportunity to go to the Caribbean and do my sample collection and the snorkeling. It is fantastic. But I do have to say that working in the lab directly with the pathogen and being able to manipulate the environments of the pathogen is definitely my favorite, mostly because I get data right away. And I'm able to say, oh, I've been doing this experiment for a week. The experiment ends, I get my data, I get to see what I'm looking at. When it comes to the snorkeling trips, while they're fantastic, you are collecting samples, bringing them back into the lab, doing DNA extractions, sequencing, and now it's been two months since you collected the data and you have to analyze the sequences. And so definitely the bench work has been incredibly attractive for me just because you get the data pretty quickly and you can keep developing hypotheses from that. Now I'm curious, um, and, and please forgive this random quasi-ignorant question, I, I think, is that if you had a mass mortality event in 2022 and you go and you sample directly from the Caribbean then, are there specific areas where they require you to sample or not require to sample? Or how does that actually work? Um, so just to see if I understand the question, you're asking where, how we dictate where we collect the samples and if a place is more significant than in other for sample collection? Fair, yes. Okay, so we focused on where the reports were coming that Diadema and Talarum were dying. And when I say we, I wanna make sure that I include our immense group of collaborators from the Caribbean, as well as from universities in Florida. Everybody has been involved and everybody has done a lot of work towards this. Um, but yes, we focused on areas where we had reports that the urchins were dying and then multiple people went collected the samples from deceased animals when the animal is deceased the spines fall off so a lot of the focus was collecting spines collecting the body looking at differences in morphology in the wild because in the end when we do the infection model in the lab we want to make sure that we're seeing the same disease patterns and the same reactions from the urchin in lab what i think directionality wise where where is your research going right now? I mean, what are your hypotheses kind of telling you? So coming from a microbiome lab, my first thought was I want to know what the bacteria within the ciliate or within the urchin environment are doing while the ciliate, while the urchin has the disease. And so my rotation project in the lab was actually looking at looking at the microbiome of deceased 
and not and healthy urchins and looking at the microbiome of the spine the body wall and different areas of the body to be able to assess if the bacterial community is being disrupted by the disease and this is important because bacteria play a role in the immune system of a lot of marine creatures they build mucosas they live within mucosas so bacteria have deeply been associated with uh, bacterial change has been deeply associated with disease because you have somewhat a stable microbial community that gets disrupted and that process is called dysbiosis and so we i was looking at how microbes change things and i was able to identify one bacteria that caught my eye because it is called to see to be a ciliate endosymbiont so it lives within the cilia and it actually gives the ciliate pathogenic properties so when i saw that bacterium i was like okay a direction of my project definitely has to be looking at the bacteria within the ciliate, if any, which we are yet to find out, um, and looking at if the ciliate on its own has any bacteria that could be contributing to its pathogenicity towards the urchin. I now remember my question and you triggered it, which was great. So. I'm, I'm jotting down notes, too, because I'm trying to follow the sort of um, the pathway of your logic, which makes total sense. So you have a bacteria that has a ciliate that is within a ciliate who then uh, attacks a sea urchin. Okay. That is, that is the hypothesis. Hypothesis. So, yeah. So would you, in order to remit or to stop the urchin mass mortality rate, would you, would your hypothesis then to be to look at the ciliate and maybe prohibit ciliate presence in the environment? Or would it be more to stop the bacterial growth? And you're smiling. So I think I'm asking a good question. Yeah. The question's fantastic. I get the question of, okay, so how are you stopping the mass mortality? And the, the direct answer is that's not the goal. Um, it's very difficult to introduce a treatment in the environment um, because you can be triggering a lot of things. I've gotten people saying, oh, why not introduce a predator for this ciliate? The problem is if you introduce a predator, you don't know how that affects the pelagic zone, so how the food chain is moving. And while the ciliate is pathogenic, we also need to consider that ciliates are incredibly important in the pelagic zone. So. It is hard to establish a protocol of how do we treat this or how do we do something about it. The goal currently has been, and this is um, in process of publication, um, we developed PCR primers. So to go back to COVID, which we all know about, we basically made PCR primers just like a COVID test, but for this. And so we can now test for the presence of the ciliate in an environment. And the goal is to be able to say, oh, the ciliate is currently active and living in this environment, so repopulation efforts should not be directed to this environment. Urchins can be grown in labs, and so there is the option of repopulating certain areas, but you need to be cautious about doing so because you don't want to bring in all the urchins and have the disease re kill them again. So that's the current goal. 
And the goal with my work is mostly understanding pathogenicity, not so much how to stop the ciliate, but how it's working, because that'll give us a lot more data as to how this disease and possibly future diseases are going to be working. Thanks for, um, I think, interacting with my, I guess, not so ignorant question, which I'm pleased about uh, yeah. and excites me. This is really, really cool. Um, really cool work. Um, marine biology. Um, I, I remember back in the day, I think it was second grade, my best friend always said, I want to be a marine mm -hmm. biologist. And I went, okay, fun. Um, and then I turned into a chemist, so I don't know what that says about me. But um, so question for you then is that if you were to think, if you were to interact with yourself from 10 years ago, what sort of words of encouragement or wisdom would you impart on yourself? It's all going to work out. Um, yeah, I my academic journey has definitely been linear to a certain extent. Um, I've gotten lucky with incredible mentors and I've gotten lucky with having people mentor me the right way towards certain goals, which is not something that everybody gets. And it sucks because everybody has so much potential in the science field and everywhere. And it's just mentoring is such a key thing for it. Um, but academic is not the only thing. There's always life that goes on in the background. And so I think the words of encouragement would always be, everything will be fine. Don't worry. Don't worry. Be happy. Yep. I'm never going to see you again on this podcast. I like that. No, and that's, it's comforting to know that, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I totally agree. And there's going to be it's going to be challenges. There's going to be some failures, but there's also going to be some really good highs and some big successes. So you got to look forward to those. Yep. Um, so with that, I thank you, Brian, for um, your time today and describing um, not only your research, but also your path and your, your journey. I think it's been pretty incredible what you've done so far. And I'm excited to see sort of your publications in the future, celebrating December 1st when you pass uh, <laughs> <exam>. <laughs> hopefully no, you will no positive thinking it will all be okay um okay. and uh for all of the listeners obviously thank you very much for for tuning in and always remember to ask yourself where does your journey stem from thanks everyone thank you